Hello, this is Pastor Marty Macedo from Bell Helpers Ministries, bringing you another podcast from the Pastor Study. Today, we're going to examine and seek to answer life's most important question. What might that be? What career to pursue? What car to buy? Who to marry? Where to live? What house to purchase? How many children to have? Where to invest our money? When to retire? Where to be buried? As important as all these questions are, and many more beside, Life's most important question is found in Acts chapter 16 and verse 30. And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The answer to this question on earth now will determine where we spend eternity after you leave this earth. You cannot get any more important than that. Let's have a word of prayer and begin. Father, we pray that you will bless our hearts, we who've already believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and give us assurance of our salvation as we study this topic today. And we pray, Father, if someone be listening who's not yet received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, that they would get a clear understanding of what the Scriptures teach about that question and be able to make a wise decision and receive Christ as their very own. Father, salvation is important, and we just pray that each of us, as we listen today, might check our hearts and be sure of ours. In Jesus' name, amen. Life is full of questions, as we have seen in our introduction today, and answers to those questions most often will vary widely depending on who you ask, for there's no lack of opinions, are there? And the same is true of life's important question, what must I do to be saved? Answers may vary widely depending on who you ask, and there's no lack of opinion. That is why we must see the answer from the reliable source of the Word of God, the Bible. We need to look at the Bible from God who created the heaven and earth. We need to look at the Bible who's revealed himself through his word. We need to look at the Bible who's revealed that he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross of Calvary, be buried and raised again, that we might have newness of life in him. And as we take a look just at the word of God and the simple passages of scripture that we're going to be looking at in the next couple of weeks, I believe we're going to see very clearly how to answer that question, what must I do to be saved? Now, before we go into some passages, one today, then the next couple of weeks, I want us to focus on a word that we're going to see used repeatedly that's very important for answering this question. And that word is the word believe. B-E-L-I-E-V-E, believe. Now, what does that word mean? Well, a definition of it would be to accept something as true or to feel sure of the truth of, or to feel sure that someone is capable of a particular action. You see, the idea of believe in the Bible is more than the idea of just having knowledge of, or just being aware of. It's the idea of committing yourself to what you believe. The illustration that comes to mind for this is one I heard almost 50 years ago now in Bible school. I went just after I'd been saved a year after serving in the army and and coming back to the States. And my wife and I started going to church. We got saved a year later. We're in Bible school. So all the things I was hearing were pretty new to me and very exciting to be sure. And this illustration I heard about the word believe stuck with me and has stuck with me all these years. There was a tightrope walker who was going to walk across Niagara Falls. And as he did so, he got a huge crowd of people around him wondering if he could perform this or not. 
And many people said to him, oh, we believe that you can do this. And he went ahead and walked across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And everybody was so excited and thought he was just the greatest person in the world. Then he came back and got a wheelbarrow. And he took the wheelbarrow and put it on the tightrope. And he said, how many of you believe that I can take someone across Niagara Falls on this tightrope in a wheelbarrow? And oh, the people were so enthralled by him at this time. They're all shouting and cheering. You can do it. You can do it. And then he looked and he said, okay, sir, get in the wheelbarrow. And the fellow said, not me. And he looked at a woman, get in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> not me. Looked at the young man, get in the wheelbarrow. Not me. And he said, wait a minute. I thought you believed, but obviously you don't because you won't get in the wheelbarrow. Now that may be a, a silly illustration, but it the speaks beautifully the word believe that we find in the scripture. Jesus Christ offers the gift of salvation, and many people say, well, yeah, I believe that. But the question mark is, have you made a decision to repent of your sins and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and get in the wheelbarrow? That's what the idea of believe means. And remember, the third definition I gave to you fits that beautifully. Feel sure that someone is capable of a particular action. When you commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, he is capable of saving you. Now, with that in mind, this week we're going to take a look at the book of John, and we're going to take a look at chapter 1 as well as chapter 3, uh, two of my very favorite chapters when you're talking about what must I do to be saved. When you take a look at John chapter 1, first of all, you read in verses 11 and through 13 the way to be saved, the way not to be saved, the way to be saved, and the way not to be saved. First of all, we see verse 11. John chapter 1, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But, verse 12, here's the way to be saved, as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that, here's our word, believe on his name. So the way to be saved, there's two points here in verse 12 in the first chapter of John. The first point is received him. And the second point is believe on his name. You see, another illustration comes to play here. And I think these illustrations are important for us to understand spiritual truth. So let me give you an illustration about the word receive. You know, if I were to put $1,000 in a bank account in your name, and if I were to come to you and say, listen, I've put $1,000 in the bank for you, and if you had a bill come up that was $1,000 that you could not pay, and you went ahead and went to prison for not being able to pay that bill, that would be pretty foolish, wouldn't it? Someone would come to you and say, wait a minute, didn't Pastor Macedo put $1,000 in an account? you could have gone down there and received that money and paid that debt and not gone to jail or prison. Well, that's what salvation is. The Lord Jesus Christ has paid the debt for our sin in shedding his blood in the cross of Calvary. And, and he has done that for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, whosoever shall be saved. But we have to receive that. We have to, in essence, go to the bank. And we have to make that decision I'm going to accept what Jesus Christ did for me to pay for my sins so I don't have to go to hell, and I receive that. And that is what it means, too, in the second part of that verse, believe on his name. 
That's the believing. That is that third part of the definition. Feel sure that someone is capable of a particular action. Jesus paid for our sin. Jesus paid it all. Now, that seems very simple, but it gets kind of clouded because verse 13 talks about the way not to be saved. And in verse 13 of John chapter 1, when you're talking about not to be saved, this is what many people look to for answering that question. What must I do to be saved? Well, I need to do this, or I need to do this, or I need to do this. What are those do's? Well, when you read verse 12, it says this, or verse 13, excuse me, which were born not of blood, there's number one, nor of the will of the flesh, there's number two, nor of the will of man, number three, but he's born of God, but of God. Now, what that means is this, the way not to be saved, not of blood. You don't inherit salvation because your parents are saved. I remember people giving testimonies and saying, when I was a young boy, I thought I was saved on the family plan. Mom and dad were saved. Mom and dad took me to church every time the doors were open. I just assumed that I was saved and went along merrily on my way. And then I realized, wait a minute, I've never made a personal decision to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I need to do that. And then they would get saved later. Sadly, many did not because they felt like mom and dad were right. I've got to be right. That's not true. Salvation and being born again is not of blood. You don't inherit it. It doesn't come on the family plan. The second way not to be saved is this, nor of the will of the flesh. Now, the will of the flesh is the idea that we can do something, that we can fix something, we can accomplish something. And the truth of the matter is, when it comes to salvation, we can't do it. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this, For by grace are you saved through faith, not that of yourselves, it's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. We don't work for our salvation. We can never pay the price for our salvation. So we cannot be saved by the will of the flesh. Nothing we can do in ourselves can bring our salvation. And the third thing we note about the way not to be saved is not of the will of man. And what that means is no one can do it for you. There's no one that can bring you your salvation. There's no one that can pay a price for your sin or no one that can give enough money to a church or no one that can join enough churches or get baptized enough times or do anything else to bring you salvation. It doesn't work that way. Salvation is John chapter 1 verse 12 and that is as many as received him, there it is, receive the gift, take hold of it, he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Remember that believing is understanding that Jesus, the one that we can feel sure is capable of, of that particular action of saving us through his shed blood. Now, not of the will of man, or excuse me, not of blood, can't be on the family plan, not the will of flesh, we can't do anything ourselves. not the will of man, but of God. So, so far we've seen the way to be saved, so far we've seen the way not to be saved. Now, let's go a little bit further in John and go to chapter 3. I have to bring this out because I think it's ever so important. When you look at salvation experiences in the scripture, oftentimes it's religious people 
that are coming to that place of receiving Jesus Christ the Savior. And you would think, wait a minute, religious people must already be saved, right? Not so. In fact, if you were to read through the book of Acts, you would find one religious person after another, after another, after another that had to come to the point of making the decision to trust Christ as their Savior. And that's what we're finding here in John chapter 3. Nicodemus is learning what we just had taught to us in John chapter 1. And let's just summarize it. If you'd like to read the chapter later in detail, it's so rich of the truths that we're highlighting right here. But let's just highlight some of the verses and see what it says. The first thing we want to note is Nicodemus was not only a religious leader, but he was also a political leader. And history tells us that he was a very rich man too. Verse 1 of chapter 3 of John, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night in verse 2. And in verse 3, before their conversation really gets on way, underway, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except the man be what? Born again. Now wait a minute. John chapter 1 talked about that. But as many as received him, that then gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, chapter 1, verse 13, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So here now we have the teaching in chapter 1, but we have an illustration of a religious man coming to Jesus in chapter 3, and Jesus is going to now illustrate to him what this means to be born again. You'll also notice, and uh, you remember the verses, you can read through them later, uh, verses 4, 5, and 6. Nicodemus says, what do I do? Enter another time into my mother's womb? I can't do that. And Jesus says, no, no, no. There's a physical birth that brought you to life, but now there needs to be a spiritual birth where you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, you believe in the one who is capable of a particular action that's saving you. And when you believe in him, then you become born again. And then he tells Nicodemus, marvel not, verse 7, that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Uh, Nicodemus, you should know these things. You, you've heard enough. Uh, you, you believe in God. You believe in the things of God. But you've not made that decision yet to believe in a way that trusts, to believe in a way that you put yourself in the wheelbarrow, to believe in a way where you allow Jesus Christ to have done the work to bring your salvation. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You know, this brings up John chapter 3 and probably a verse that you have memorized even from a child. In John chapter 3, I call it the little Bible. From Genesis to Revelation can be summarized in this one verse, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, listen carefully, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Did you see that word again? Believeth in him. The one who's ready to commit to Jesus Christ and say that it's not through my parents, not born this way. It's not through the will of my flesh. There's nothing I can do, not through the will of man, nothing someone else can do. But I am accepting what you have done, Jesus Christ, so that I can be born again. In fact, the end of John chapter 3, in verse 36, it says this, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, 
and he believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Yes, when we ask that question, what must I do to be saved? The answer to that question is, we must be born again. And we're born again by receiving him, John 1, verse 12, by believing on his name, John chapter 1, verse 12. We do not get saved by the, by the blood, inherited family plan. We do not get saved by the will of the flesh, anything I can do. We do not get saved by the will of man, anything anyone else can do for us. And Nicodemus learns that lesson here in John chapter 3. Now, the question mark would be, and this is exciting, did, did Nicodemus ever get saved? Did he accept what Jesus taught? Well, I believe he did, but I believe it took some time for him to digest it and make his personal decision to trust Christ as Savior. And I say that because John mentions Nicodemus three specific times in his book. We've just seen the first one. It's in John chapter 3 and verse 16. But then we take a look at the second one, and the second one is in John chapter 7. We're moving ahead in time in John chapter 7, and we're seeing Nicodemus' name again, starting in verse 50. Nicodemus saith unto them, now these are the Jews, they're arguing there's division in verse 43 among them. Some people are believing in Jesus, some are not. And, and the Pharisees are saying, well, we're, we're very smart. We know better. We're not believing in him. And Nicodemus intercedes in verse 50 and said this, he that came to Jesus by night being one of them, Verse 51, doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man went unto his own house. So Nicodemus, in essence, speaks up for the Lord Jesus Christ here, but not very boldly. He just mentions a question and brings a little doubt into their minds and dispels the controversy that was taking place. So that's not conclusive that Nicodemus was saved. But I want us to go a little bit further. Look at John chapter 19. Jesus Christ is crucified. His body's been hung on the cross. It's being taken down from the cross. And there's a man in verse 38 of John 19 named Joseph of Arimathea, a disciple of Jesus. Now note that. Joseph of the, excuse me, Joseph of Arimathea, verse 38, John chapter 19, a disciple of Jesus, means he was a follower of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. But he sought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and he came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. Pretty bold step to be going and asking to take the body of this quote-unquote deceiver who's just been crucified by the Roman government across the Calvary and rejected by the Jewish community. But here we have Joseph stepping forward and making that decision, but he didn't do it alone. Look at chapter 19 of John and verse 39. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and a broader mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein never man was laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. 
I don't have proof for this, but I just have a feeling that Nicodemus being so well off brought all those spices and myrrh and aloes. And, and it may have been, they say, Nicodemus' sepulcher that actually Jesus was laid in. And Nicodemus now is no longer a secret disciple and he's no longer afraid to speak up, but he actually is emboldened to, along with Joseph of Arimathea, take the body of his precious Savior and make sure he's buried properly in the sepulcher, even though he was only going to be for three short days. So when we take a look at this question, life's most important question, what must I do to be saved? The fact is, what we need to do is believe. We don't do anything by action. We don't perform any duty or responsibility, but we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and are then born again. Not a belief like, well, I know about him. I believe he was real. No, it's a belief where we're willing to get in the wheelbarrow and let him care for us rest of the days of our life. Have you made that decision? You might be a very religious person today, like Nicodemus was. But have you made that personal decision to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Remember that third definition? feel sure that someone, that would be Jesus, is capable of a particular action, and the action would be saving you by shedding his blood on the cross of Calvary. If you've not made that decision of belief yet, would you do it today? This has been from the Pastor Study with Pastor Marty Macedo. You may email me at macedofhm at gmail.com. And Lord willing, we'll post another Bible lesson next week. But remember, how you respond to the answer of this question today, Sirs, what must I do to be saved, will determine where you'll spend eternity tomorrow. Thank you for listening, and have a great day.